Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Lots of reaction coming up today to proposed changes to the Waters of the U.S. rule. We'll hear from Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association, and Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Lots to talk about with Colin, not only waters the U.S., but the marketing and uh, issues and labeling issues and packers and stockyards proposed changes. So lots to talk about on our program today. Let's start it off, though, with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, good to talk with you. How, you, how are you doing? Good, Mike. Good to be here. Um we got a lot's going on here. Uh, I said yesterday, it's almost like the uh, the honeymoon between agriculture and the Biden administration is coming to an end, <laughs> and some battle lines are being drawn here on some on some big issues. Waters of the U.S. Yeah. being maybe one of the big ones. Uh, taxes, perhaps the biggest one, but Waters of the U.S. is another one. And here we're going to go through this again. It looks like. And we still don't know exactly what they're going to propose as far as the new rules concerned, but some of the comments so far make it sound like they want to make some significant changes. Yeah, there's no doubt, Mike. Um, you know, when you see what uh, EPA said last week in a statement that it put out uh, about uh, its its uh, decision to remand the Trump water rule, uh, it really, really slammed the Trump water rule, claiming that a number of Waters have gone unprotected as a result, and that sort of thing. Um, and that would just, you know, that that appears that this uh, administration is going back uh, to at least something that looks like that 2015 water rule that really greatly expanded federal reach uh, on land across the country. Um, <clears throat> that particular rule really went through the court system and got hammered pretty hard uh, until Trump came along and and you know took it out. Um, I do think that, you know, this next rule, just based on what EPA is saying and their messaging, uh, I have a hard time believing at this point that this next uh, this next go around is going to be any different from the 2015 rule. I think, uh, you know, there's plenty of indication here that, uh, that the agency is going to go back and, and really, uh, really expand its reach again in the Clean Water Act. And this current rule, the new rule is widely supported by agriculture. So what message, I mean, is the administration sending to agriculture saying, we think it's not a good rule, you think it is, we're going to go ahead and change it, though, anyway? Yeah, you know, and I think, Mike, I think the thing that's probably most discouraging is that, uh, you know, we've been trying to get signals out of EPA Administrator Michael Regan as to where, you know, the administration was going to go on this and a number of other issues. Uh, And he's been playing it pretty close to the vest. It seemed to be pretty... uh, pretty on balance about, you know, willing to listen to ag stakeholders and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's really the case right now. Maybe, you know, maybe this rule that will come out is is something that'll be surprising and maybe it'll be surprisingly a good thing. But uh, every it just it just seems like the rhetoric coming out of EPA and the administration at this point isn't matching what we're seeing in terms of the actions uh, that they're considering. And the water rule is no different. We've also heard a lot of encouraging and supportive uh, 
comments from EPA and this administration when it comes to biofuels, but then here comes a rumor that the administration is considering some sort of relief for oil refineries from the RFS. I mean, talk about mixed signals. Yeah, Mike, you know, and this administration, uh, you know, it defended the biofuels industry in the latest Supreme Court case on small refinery exemptions. Uh, in fact, the EPA had completely drawn back on its previous policy, which was, you know, basically granting exemptions to pretty much anyone who came and asked. Um, and so to see these two things in juxtaposition, it really is confusing. Um, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, whether this, this EPA really does have a sense for where it's going. Uh, on transportation fuels or not. And I, you know, I guess there's a lot out there to be seen, but uh, we're going to know a lot more as, you know, the RVOs for 2021 and 2020, or the 20 and 21, I think, that are going to be proposed here at some point. We're going to probably know a little bit more then. Uh, but yeah, if, if there's more of this going on, you know, the back and forth in the administration between biofuels and the refining industry, it really, uh, really doesn't change much from where we were the past uh, four years. And as I said earlier, if you add those things onto these proposed tax changes that agriculture is concerned about, wow, that yeah. those are some big uh, some big hits that agriculture could be taking. Yeah, absolutely. I think the tax issue. You're right. That's probably at the top of the list. I mean, we're talking about some very significant changes potentially coming down the pike, um, and a lot of ag groups have been quite clear for for many years. I mean, dating back to the Obama administration. Um, on these very particular tax issues. And I think, um, you know, it, it really does, again, it really begs the question of where this administration is going in agriculture. Right now, I don't think we have a clear sense. You know, on the biofuels issue, how many times over the last four years of the Trump administration did we say it seemed like they were trying to walk some kind of fine line and keep yeah. both sides happy? It didn't work then, and I don't think it's going to work yeah. now either if that's what this administration is going to try to do. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this is very much the same path. You know, we we heard from Trump, you know, he he, he approved the E15 year-round. I mean, there are a number of good things that came out of EPA when it came to agriculture, ethanol, and all those things. But this right now, you're right, it doesn't really look any different. I mean, as we start to see the policies, you know, and the rubber meet the road, so to speak, I think uh, we're starting to learn a lot more about how difficult it is uh, for any administration you know, to walk that fine line when it comes to ethanol and oil. And I understand nobody gets everything they want, but you you look for some right. kind of consistency, right, when it comes to policy on these issues. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's, you know, it's just predictability. I think any industry wants predictability. Uh, ethanol and agriculture are no different. I think that's something that we're going to have to find some of that here uh, very soon. There's a lot of big issues floating around out there and a lot of decisions that have to be made in, in the industry. Uh, one other story before we let you go. Uh, the IRS raid on that Michigan farm. We've been uh, you know, hearing yeah. a lot about that for quite some time. What's the latest on that? Well, Mike, all we know at this point, Borson Farms, which is based in Zeeland, Michigan, uh, you know, it's kind of a long story, but they bought out the, the assets of a, of a previously uh, defunct farm operation, Stamp Farms. Uh, they, they've had a number of issues. This, this current owner has had a number of issues owing money to companies like CHS and others. I mean, they're, they're deep in the hole, many, many millions. Um, this latest, all we know about this latest raid is that they, they uh, executed a search warrant, um, and they're not really saying much more about it. I think there's a lot of speculation going on out there about what it's, what's really going on. 
but we're just going to have to wait and see if there's any charges brought. All right, we shall see. Lots going on. Todd, good to have you with us. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you, Mike. Take care. Take You too. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Well, this Waters of the U.S. Uh, story is certainly one that uh, we're going to be watching. It took the Trump administration four years to get the 2015 rule changed, get a new rule in place. We finally have it. Agriculture's on board with it. They, for the most part, like it. And now it looks like we could go through this whole process again. We're still not exactly sure how the uh, Biden administration wants to change it or what areas or how much they want to change, but they've made some strong comments along those lines. We'll talk about it next with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, right here on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, let's talk about the line speed issue. Capacity has been a huge issue facing the industry anyway. Of course, on the other side, there are people talking about, well, what about safety and health concerns for workers and packing plants? So how do you address that and still keep line speeds up? Nobody is more cognizant of safety in our farms and on the plants than producers. This is not a worker safety issue. There is no data that suggests that these plants operating under the faster line speeds had increased worker safety issues. In fact, the, the data suggests that quite the opposite. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to get this fixed. We need a solution here and we need to keep our capacity. And ultimately, we need to all come to the table with USDA, with our labor unions and others to find to find a solution that works for all of us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 
You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Waters of the U.S. back in the news. Let's talk it over with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, good to have you with us. It took four years to get that controversial 2015 Obama rule changed, and now we have one finally in place that agriculture, for the most part, supports. Now this administration proposing to change it again. What are your thoughts? Well, for those of us, Mike, that have been involved in this for a long time, this is like the uh, movie Groundhog Day all over again. I mean, we just can't believe after an arduous four-year effort to fix this controversial rule, you know, we thought we were done with it. And now we learn we're not. Uh, By all appearances, it looks like the Biden administration is wanting to go back to something in the 2015 uh, rule range, and and I will tell you, Mike, when I traveled the countryside during that period, there was nothing more controversial, nothing more opposed by farmers and landowners out there than that original 2015 rule that uh, was fortunately scrapped, but unfortunately it looks like there is an effort to go back and use that as a basis again, and and, uh, I think agriculture will rise up once again in strong opposition to this. And we should point out, it wasn't just agriculture that didn't like the 2015 rule. There were a lot of other industries joining agriculture and pushing for the change that led to the rule we have now. Absolutely. Real estate people, uh, you know, anybody involved in any kind of uh, land use issues were impacted because that uh, original rule, again, dating back to 2015, really was such a, an overreach of the powers of the Clean Water Act, Mike, where basically any <laughs> puddle of water out there was was under threat of being uh, uh, considered a wetland and therefore subject to all of the protections of the Clean Water Act, and just uh, you know, just a ridiculous sort of interpretation. And unfortunately, now it looks like we're going to have to go back and refight this thing all over again. And such an abrupt change in the language coming from EPA and the administrator, Michael Regan, who talked early on about, you know, going to get input, listen to a lot of people, and it just sounded kind of positive. Then all of a sudden, uh, it, he starts using language like uh, the current rules de- causing degradation out in our across the country and things like that. I mean, that's a pretty abrupt change. And and even though we don't know exactly what they're going to propose in a new rule, it sure makes it sound like there will be some significant changes. Well, it does, Mike, and that's what's unfortunate here, too. As you mentioned and I mentioned, you know, the the rule that is now being uh, replaced was four years in the making. You know, it took the, the Trump administration their entire term to put this in place. And there's there's been no evidence or data you know relative to this new rule that that's occurred yet and so all of this criticism that EPA is putting out there is is based upon something that that for all practical purposes hasn't even you know kind of hit the ground so to speak and and yet all of these criticisms and and doomsday scenarios on this and it's it's just you know, again, uh, being driven, I think, by politics, and uh, there, there's there's no data 
or um, information here that uh, is is used in this calculation and determination, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Chuck. I mean, the language that came out in the announcement made it sound like there's all this harm that's been done because of the new rule. The new rule is hardly, <laughs> the, the ink's hardly dry on the paper, right? I mean, it just hasn't been in place that long to have caused, even if it was going to, to cause that kind of damage that they made it sound like. Yeah, and then and you know the the uh, little bit of information they put out there in terms of you know the number of projects they cited where you know they they felt like uh, mitigation should have been in place that could have occurred. I mean, it, it was a fraction of one percent. I think uh, my my team told me it was point zero zero six percent of the total permitted projects across the country. And so you know we're. Again, rewriting this, throwing out what uh, was a uh, strong rule for agriculture, solving, again, kind of the number one political issue that was around out there uh, a few years ago, all being thrown out for uh, supposed action on a fraction of a percent, small fraction of a percent of the, the number of potential water projects out there. It's, it's just not, not the right decision. Well, there were a number of uh, legal challenges to the change from 2015's rule to the current rule, so I'm guessing there will be plenty of legal challenges to another proposed change. Well, there may be, Mike. Um, our hope is that, uh, you know, the EPA does realize that uh, 2015 was a dramatic overreach that perhaps uh, maybe instead of uh, starting over, you know, from the the so-called Trump rule that, that maybe they look at, you know, are there slight improvements that can be made and that sort of thing. And that, you know, that's going to be what we'll, we will push them to try and do. What they have said publicly doesn't uh, lead me to believe that's the direction they're headed, but, uh, you know, we, we are still hopeful that, that perhaps we can prevail upon them and not get into sort of a ground zero rewrite, which... You know, for them, uh, you know, you, at, at a minimum, you know, you're talking about a three-year process. So perhaps uh, to avoid that lengthy process, we can talk them into um, minor changes versus wholesale rewrite. And that's that's what we're hanging our hat on at this point. But I don't want to leave people with the impression that that looks promising at this stage. Talking with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, as we look back over years and years and you have seen a lot of changes in in direction in washington dc but maybe it's just a sign of the times we live in but it seems like we're now in every time we have a new uh party get power we have these dramatic almost violent change in directions i mean it's not subtle changes i mean it's it's abrupt overturn and and completely different uh direction i mean I mean, is that what we're headed for? I mean, it seems like now we think every four years, if there's a party change, everything gets turned on its head and we, we switch things around. Those These are pretty dramatic swings, it seems like. They are pretty dramatic, Mike. The, the good news is that for many food and agricultural issues, you know, we do still operate in more of a bipartisan environment than most other sectors do, and that that's, provides some stability of policy through changes in administration and changes in Congress and that sort of thing. But when you get into, you know, some of these areas and the environment is one of them, uh, there's, it's dramatic. And as you said, it's, uh, 
you know, you're, you're going uh, down the road in one direction and there's an election and all of a sudden the brakes are applied and you are going, you know, the exact opposite direction. And that's hard to, to function under. Farmers don't need that uncertainty of policy that unfortunately we've been throwing at them because, uh, you know, Mother Nature itself throws a lot of uncertainty out there and we don't need to add to it. And so our, our goal oftentimes is just, you know, creating some stability um, sometimes that's very difficult in the environment we're in because this is not, not a stable political time. It's a very, very volatile political time. And to your point, where agriculture maybe is a bit different from other areas, we have seen on like the proposed tax changes that the Biden administration has put out there, we've, we've seen uh, several Democrats, including the chairman of the House Ag Committee, come out and say this would be harmful to to the ag community. So there's been some uh, pushback even within the Democratic Party on some of these proposals. No, there has been, Mike. We're very um, grateful to Chairman Scott of the House Agriculture Committee for what he said, particularly as it relates to estate taxes. Um, he just really put the kibosh on the stepped-up basis. I think uh, from my standpoint, uh, that was a... Uh, signal heard deep within the bowels of the White House that, you know, if, if I don't even uh, have David Scott on my team on this, uh, we probably better evaluate uh, using estate taxes or stepped-up basis as any sort of revenue measure out there. And uh, we're not through this yet. You know, we haven't won, but that was a big, big change and an important one for agriculture and, and one we hope sort of puts this issue to rest. All right, Chuck, uh, thanks for the update and perspective. We'll see where this goes as we watch this uh, battle over waters of the U.S. Kind of here we go again. But uh, thanks a lot. Good to, good to talk always, with you. As always, thanks, Mike. Take care. Take care. Chuck Connor, President, National Council for Farmer Cooperatives. Yep, another big battle ahead, depending especially, uh, as he said, what we see as far as proposal. Will the administration make uh, drastic changes, proposed drastic changes to the current waters of the U.S. rule and be willing to take on a three, four-year fight over that or will it be something more of a tweaking of this rule? We don't know, but uh, we'll be watching that closely. We'll get some thoughts on that and uh, market issues and several other things with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Lots to talk about with Colin. We'll do that next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. The drought monitor is showing a little more green across the Corn Belt this last week. Although more rain is needed, rain is coming just in time for many growers in the northern part of the Corn Belt. If the rain strikes out, traders will quickly begin to reduce national yield estimates for the new crop. Lower futures across the Board of Trade. July corn trading six and a fraction lower at 6.53 and a fraction. The September contract down 14 and three quarters at 5.83 and three quarters. For soybeans, the July contract up a half a cent at 14.73. The August contract down nine cents at 14.32 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down 19 and three quarters at 6.54 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat July down 22 and three quarters at 6.05 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat July down six and a fraction at 7.40 and a fraction. The September contract down six and a fraction at 7.47 and three quarters. Cattle and hog futures again moved in opposite directions on Monday, traders took advantage of substantially lower grain prices to push feeder cattle futures higher on Monday. Hogs struggled under lower cash and lower cutouts. In cash cattle country, asking prices are at $122 plus in the south and $195 to $197 in the north. On the Board of Trade, June live cattle trading 80 cents higher at 120.10. The August contract up 57 at 121.85. Feeders August up $1.67 at 150 625 September a dollar 62 higher at 158.37 for lean hogs the July contract trading 77 cents lower at 117.42 August a dollar 30 lower at 113.47 in the outside markets the Dow is down 126 points the Nasdaq composite down 49 the S&P 500 down 7 the US dollar index is trending lower you're listening to AOA I'm Kirsten Rawl You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good to have Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. Colin, thanks for being with us today. 
Mike, it's always good to be with you. Lots to talk about. I'll start off with kind of our, our topic of the day has been proposed changes to the waters of the U.S. rule and kind of under the headline of here we go again. Your thoughts to what you're hearing from the administration on this? You know, we're not very surprised that the administrator and the administration have decided to go and repeal the navigable waters protection rule. It was to be expected, especially uh, given the ties that many in this current administration have with the previous Obama administration that put WOTUS in place to begin with. So I don't think any of us in agriculture should be surprised at that. Frustrated? Yes. Surprised? No. But I think the key difference this go-around compared to where we were in 2015 under President Obama is that Administrator Regan has made it extremely clear that he wants to work with agriculture, and he wants agriculture at the table. And, you know, at this stage of the game, that's all we can ask for. You know, they don't have a proposal that is pending. They don't have anything that's about to come out. They are going to go out and talk with stakeholders and gather information. So from NCBA's perspective, we're going to make sure that we are sitting at that table, that we're providing our concerns in regards to any changes, and make sure that whatever comes out of this not only is effective at protecting water quality, but is also equally as effective at protecting private property rights. So there's there's a long way to go in this process. As we saw last time, it takes a long time to change it, and we just wait for the details. As you said, it gives agriculture a chance to be at the table to talk about it. Hopefully they, they will listen. All right, the Department of Agriculture is unveiling three proposed rules that they say will strengthen enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. Any concerns about what you're seeing and hearing on this? We do have some concerns, especially in regards to revisiting the old GYPSA rule. And all of your listeners who have had any sort of engagement with the cattle industry over the past decade will remember the big fight that that brought forward. And just as a recap, the original GYPSA rule that was a result of the 2008 Farm Bill and ended up manifesting itself in the 2010 rule that uh, we then spent a lot of time and effort fighting, basically would put USDA in the driver's seat in determining how producers can or cannot market their cattle. Uh, We believe that the Packers and Stockyards Act needs to be fully enforced. And we hope that the president and the administration and the secretary will work with Congress to ensure that there is full funding of the Packers and Stockyards programs in order to fully uh, enforce and and take care of all the, the regulatory requirements as set out in the Packers and Stockyards Act. If we're looking at ways to be more effective and regulating cattle markets, that's probably the single best thing that both the administration and Congress can do is fully fund those packers and stockyards inspectors and all the activities at USDA. Any sort of revisit of the gypsum rule is going to be problematic for us. Now, we hope that this is much like what we just talked about with WOTUS, that there will be the opportunity for stakeholders to engage and talk about all the lessons we learned in fighting the 2010 proposal and to make it very clear that in order for us to have as many opportunities as possible to market cattle, we need to make sure that the cattle markets are are working, but not so much to the point where we have USDA dictating again what cattle producers can or cannot do when it comes to the marketing of their cattle. So concerns definitely, but Much like with all of the rules that we're seeing out of the administration, 
we are in the early stages of this discussion, and there's a long way to go before anything is finalized, and that provides opportunity for all of us to engage and have our voices heard. We're talking with Colin Whittall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So let's talk about cattle markets. A lot of proposals out there, some legislative proposals to deal with the, uh, the markets. What do you like? What do you not like about what's being proposed? Yeah, you know, there are uh, quite a few proposals out there, and, and they run the gamut. Everything from, you know, most recently the Senator Tester, Senator Grassley bill to establish a special investigator to mandates on how much cash trade should be out there. So there are, there are a lot of proposals, but right now none of those are ones that NCBA is endorsing, and the reason why is because we are still working on our voluntary approach to in- increased cash trade thus trying to provide more price discovery. And we're in the uh, the second quarter. Now, we're quickly wrapping up that second quarter, but what we have already seen is we've been very successful in increasing the amount of cash trade compared to where we've been in the past. So once we end this quarter, our team will be evaluating where we settle out. And if we indeed trip triggers that were set out by our plan last year, then when we head to Nashville here in about two months for our annual convention, we'll be talking about these pieces of legislation and whether or not we will get behind any one of them or if we'll start proposing uh, other approaches or try to amend the uh, the legislation that's already out there. So right now we are still doing everything we can to try this voluntary approach because NCBA in general believes that a voluntary approach is much better than any sort of government mandate. All right, so that'll be a big topic of conversation when we gather in Nashville in August for your convention. Uh, In the meantime, I guess you haven't heard anything from the Department of Justice on their investigation into the cattle markets? We have not yet, but we continue to work with members of Congress to send letters, making it very clear that we need some sort of final answer from them on what's going on. What did they find? We know that they spend a lot of time last summer, uh, fall, and even in the winter talking to cattle producers across the country and members of the beef supply chain, a lot of those NCBA members. So we know that they did the work, but it's time to wrap it up. It's been over a year now, and we as the industry need to know what they found because that will help determine a lot of the next steps that we just talked about, whether that's legislation, legal action, etc. We just want to know what they found. Well, you've also, your your organization is um, proposing a, a label change, saying that the product of the USA labels uh, have, have misled consumers. You've proposed something like processed in the USA or something like that, or even eliminating it. Uh, what kind of reaction have you received since uh, you made that announcement? You bet, Mike. You and I have talked about labeling many times over the years. <laughs> And everybody who's engaged in the cattle industry knows that the topic of labeling, things like country of origin labeling, have been uh, very, very hot issues. Uh, This is one that is a result of a lot of the conversations that have been had regarding country of origin labeling over the past couple years, because we do know that when you look at the Food Safety Inspection Services guidance, that if a product is either harvested or further processed in a USDA-inspected plant here in the United States, it can carry that label, product of the United States. 
And we just don't think that that truly is in keeping with what a product of the United States is in the minds of the consumer. So what we have petitioned USDA to do is to take that ability away from processors and retailers and say that if you're going to use this FSIS standard of uh, what is what is labeled in uh, in regards to product coming out of a USDA inspected plant that it needs to be accurate to what actually happened there and that's why we are proposing taking the term product of the USA away and replacing it with processed in the USA now there are still opportunities to work on a product of the USA label but we have the ability to do that through AMS's processed verified uh, program, PVP program, that allows for labels, labeling claims, as long as they are verified. So that is what we are encouraging retailers to look at, is how they can go in and do something that we know will be audited and verified. It's one of the concerns with the current FSIS guidance, is because FSIS can't tell us who is using that term, product United States, and how they are regulating it. And we really need to tighten that up. All right. And one other topic, I don't think you and I have, haven't talked about this in a while. We have over the years, and that's some of these tax change proposals that are, that are out there, whether it's uh, the inheritance tax, capital gains tax, uh, stepped-up basis. Uh, you've spoken out on this before. This is another area of concern from what's being proposed out there. We've made it very clear to both Congress and the administration that their proposal to eliminate the step-up in basis in order to pay for a lot of the programs the president has announced is just unacceptable to us. Uh, we do not believe that they should be balancing their monetary requirements on the backs of cattle producers when all we're trying to do is make sure that we can provide the opportunity for producers to pass their operation on to the next generation. So we are geared up and already fighting on Capitol Hill to build a backstop against the elimination of the step-up in basis. We have a coalition of not only other agriculture groups, but other small business groups that are sharing that, that same viewpoint, that we have to be able to uh, uh, protect that step-up in basis given how important it is to make sure that uh, we, we are not being unfairly penalized just because of the longevity of a lot of these operations being in the same family, in some cases, four or five or more generations. It's a, it's, a, it's a big issue for us. It is the number one issue for us as we look at this tax proposal. And we already have a lot of support, bipartisan support, uh, with both Democrats and Republicans on the House and the Senate that are working with us. So we're going to fight this one tooth and nail. All right, Colin, we'll have lots to talk about uh, when we gather in Nashville, August 10th, 11th, and 12th for your convention. See you then. Thank you, Mike. All right. Colin Woodall, CEO, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Some hot issues for sure. Some real um, areas of concern for agriculture. Some tough issues, whether it be taxes, waters of the U.S., markets, whatever it may be. We'll get more thoughts on some of these topics from the CEO of the American Soybean Association, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. Block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, it is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it. President of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Uh, Give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. It's still a crisis. We have many Farm Bureau members and other ag producers along the border, and they're still dealing with the influx of folks coming over here illegally. It's been talked about some already. You're looking at damage to crops and damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with. Safety's become a very big concern as well because, uh, quite frankly, a lot of these folks are criminals. And the coyotes, the, the human smugglers, are using the fact that there's a surge to really make it easier for them to do their dirty work, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug trafficking or things of that nature. So, you know, you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're discussing giving beef calves a good start with Cash Yant, nutrition consultant with CHS Animal Nutrition. Cash, it's, of course, been dry across much of beef country this year. How could limited grazing for beef cows affect their calves this summer? Dry seasons really present us in, in the beef cow uh, industry with, with a lot of challenges. First and foremost is just pasture management. Maybe we typically turn out to pasture A on the 15th of June and we just haven't had the moisture to get to that point yet. Or maybe it's reduced allotments on forest service permits, uh, you know, reduction in the amount of pairs that we can even go up with. So that there's a lot of challenges. But when we take a look at the long-term financial impact that that reduced grazing ability has, um, you know, when we think about it, 
through the system of production to those calves. Uh, first, obviously, is just milk production. Uh, reduced dry matter into that cow results in reduced milk production for that calf. Um, now, as those calves mature, of course, their intake of the milk be begins to decrease and their diet is replaced with dry matter. Uh, but if there's none for mom, then there's probably not very much left for the calf, right? Uh, and both of those then result in immunity challenges. So when does creep feeding provide the best return on investment? When we think about the opportunity of liquidation in the cow herd um, or extending pasture, that's when creep feed shines the best for us. Um, we, ha we have many research trials out there that we work with in CHS that show us that for every 10 calves that are on creep feed, we can extend or save enough grass for one mature cow. So each of those calves that are going to intake their diet or their dry matter percentage of the diet coming from creep feed is going to leave standing forage for the mature cow. Um, so again, reducing the impact of your previous question. Um, and then we know that we're going to reduce about 40% of the pasture that those calves are going to consume. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Steve Sinsky. Steve, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you. We've been asking uh, ag leaders uh, throughout the show today about their reaction to the administration's proposed changes, although we don't know exactly what they will be, but that they plan to make changes to the waters of the U.S. rule after we spent four years getting uh, a change from the 2015 rule. Now we have one that agriculture, for the most part, supports. Now here we go again with another change. Your reaction? Yeah, the American Soybean Association, we're in soybean farmers, we're very disappointed. Uh, not totally surprised because we know that the that EPA Administrator Regan and, and the Biden administration had announced that they were going to take a look and relook at at, at uh, the rule again, but we're still disappointed, and I think we're 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 hopeful that they will engage and be willing to listen to agriculture this time because uh, really the the Obama era rule of WOTUS was really a disaster. So we don't know exactly what they're going to propose. And we know it's going to be a lengthy process. We just went through one that took four years. Uh, but when you hear comments made about the current rule causing degradation out on the land, uh, which to me seems pretty harsh for a rule that hasn't been in place very long, it makes you wonder how big a change is they're planning on making. Yeah, and, and I think it is that uncertainty. I mean, uh, again, you know, I know that EPA has said that they want a very durable rule. I think all of us within agriculture and the construction industry and every place else, we want to have a durable rule, one that will remain in place. But I think going through and proposing yet another rulemaking procedure um, is going to create uncertainty for farmers and ranchers. And they don't want that. Uh, farmers and ranchers, as you well know, Mike, were very concerned about the, the WOTUS rule under the Obama administration, um, you know, that that created a lot of uncertainty of which lands of theirs were subject to, to the Clean Water Act protections and permitting requirements. Um, and we don't want to be in that situation again. 
talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, we know that there are a lot of um, backups in the supply chain across the country in, in about every area that you uh, want to, uh, uh, that we run across in our lives. Something isn't getting moved very quickly for various reasons. A lot of it has to do with labor. Uh, but also, we know there are transportation transportation issues, and it it really puts the focus again on infrastructure. And they're continuing that debate in in Washington. Uh, what are you seeing in that debate that makes you hopeful or concerned about what's going to come out of it and how it could be a, a benefit to agriculture? What makes me hopeful, Mike, is that they're still talking, and so we have the White House. Uh, still engaged with Republicans, and so I think that's what makes me hopeful, and that's where the position of the American Soybean Association, we want a bipartisan infrastructure bill. There's uh, a lot to like uh, on what is being what is on the table, the investment in our roads and bridges, inland waterways and ports uh, that are that's really, really needed to have an efficient transportation network. But I guess what makes me concerned is still the uncertainty on the pay-fors. We know that, uh, you know, the uh, concepts of like the elimination of stepped-up basis uh, and uh, taxing, making capital gains uh, at upon death, uh, those are really deal killers uh, for not only Republicans but for for agriculture and and small business as well. So we watch also what's going to happen on the biofuels front. It seems like there's positive news and there's some concerning news there too. But I know one of the things that you'll be pushing for watching is uh, uh, the biodiesel tax credit and getting that continued. Yes, we're pushing hard for an extension of that biodiesel tax credit. Of course, that goes through 2022, but we want it extended after that. We see that as a great opportunity Biodiesel, uh, uh, as you know well, Mike, it, it reduces greenhouse gas uh, emissions uh, uh, by 74% on average compared to petroleum diesel. And so our message to the Biden administration has been we have a drop-in fuel that's already being used that, that can, can really make a significant impact on uh, carbon and greenhouse gas emissions. You just have to give it a try. Um, what concerns us is some of the rumors that we've heard about, you know, uh, waivers or uh, uh, RIN caps and things like that. And, and boy, that sounds like deja vu all over again. Yeah, it really does. And again, those are rumors at this point, but we don't know for sure. Uh, what are you hearing from your members of farmers across the country about uh, carbon credits, carbon banking, carbon markets, opportunities that may be out there. Are they skeptical? Are they uh, anxious to see what's uh, out there for them? Or how would you describe uh, what you've heard so far? I think what we have heard is just a lot of questions. Uh, I think some farmers, as you have stated so well, are seeing this as a potential opportunity, depending on how it's implemented, uh, that the farmers that have been been using these practices, minimum till, no-till, cover crops for some time, they see some opportunity. Uh, But there's also, I think, some uncertainty and skepticism um, wanting to make sure that you don't have that, wanting to make sure that it's voluntary, that it's incentive-based, and we don't have government coming in and trying to tell farmers 
what kind of practices they must implement on their land. And uh, that is something that, you know, really scares farmers and, and they'd be very much opposed to. Steve, as always, thanks for joining us. Wow, there are a lot of things going on, important issues, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. That's going to do it for today. Tomorrow we'll get an update on these and other breaking stories. We're also going to get more thoughts on these rumors out there about possible relief from the RFS for the oil industry. We'll talk with Renewable Fuels Association about that. We'll get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers and the latest on the markets as well. It'll be another busy show tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.